You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. One of our sponsors of the Dairy Voice podcast is National DHIA. NDHIA ensures information accuracy and represents their members' interests. They are the direct voice for the dairy information industry. To find out more, go to dhia.org. Welcome to the Dairy Voice podcast by Dairy Business News. I'm Connie Cooper, your host. In this edition of Dairy Voice, I'm talking with Austin Allred of Royal Dairy in Royal City, Washington. Royal City is a small farming community of about 2,500 people in the heart of the Columbia Basin. The dairy lies about five miles east of the Columbia River and as the crow flies, about 100 miles north of the Washington and Oregon border. Welcome, Austin. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Now, farmers are always liking to talk about the weather. So what's it like today at Royal Dairy? It is defrosting. So it's wet, but the sun's out. So not too, not too much to complain about. Good. Well, I'm very curious about an innovative technology that you're using. But first, I'd like to learn about you, your family, how the dairy started and where you're headed. So let's start with uh, talking about your family. Can you tell me about your grandparents and parents and how they started farming in your area? A couple of generations ago, my grandpa, both my grandparents, my mom's dad and my dad's dad, um, both drew out of a GI drawing. So if you're in the military in World War II, the government opened up some of this, some of this new land, part of the Columbia Basin Project way back when, um, for these veterans. And so you drew it and then you got a, you got a good deal on it. You still paid some money for it, but it's a good deal. So my mom's dad had the second draw and my dad's dad had the second to last draw, which is clear in the success of their farms. My mom's dad became a very successful farmer. My dad's dad, who was, in, who was a PhD in agroeconomics, um, moved away from his good job to come out here and farm because he wanted to raise his boys on a farm. And so they came out here and uh, less successful on the farming side. However, he has multiple sons and a daughter who all farm now and are very successful at it. So he did what he was, he, he accomplished his goals, just not in his own successful farming ventures. But my dad's a potato farmer. We've been potato farming since I was born and Probably for the last 45, 50 years, he's been a potato farmer. He's worked into apples and cherries over the time, as that made sense. And then about the time I graduated is when uh, I started working in with his help into the dairy. And so we've been doing dairying for the last 10 years. And then uh, I just started doing some more beef, too, in the last few years. Okay, well, it sounds like you come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Tell me how that affects your outlook and your management philosophies today at your dairy. I think I was raised with uh, very, I know I was raised with very good parents, but I think um, they instilled that hard work can accomplish what you want. Don't let the hard work keep you from doing what you want to do. Um, There's a will, there's a way. It might get me into trouble at some point, but so far, so good. Until the bank calls and tells me otherwise. Tell me about how, how your dairy got started. What's the, been the progression and um, about the, the herd, the facility, and the people that work there? Yeah, so if uh, anyone's familiar with the West Coast, uh, Seattle has a really cool door-to-door milk company called Smith Brothers. Um, Smith Brothers wanted to vertically integrate. They actually had a dairy on the West Side. They got pushed out of the city, and they built this dairy in 2001. They built Royal Dairy. Uh, it was called Smith Brothers Dairy at the time. 
but some different regulations and rules came down the pipeline and they ended up selling to my, to my friend, Nelson Freya, right out of, right out of college, Nelson Freya bought this dairy and he made it very successful. And then as he ventured down closer to Texas, I bought this dairy from him. And that was in 2009 or 10, I believe. And so since then, I've been running and operating the dairy. It was, uh, Smith Brothers had a Holstein herd. We've converted it more towards Jersey. And so we got a a little bit of everything in between. So uh, dairy farmers like to know all the facts and figures. What what can you tell me about cow numbers and employees? And We have a parallel 56. Uh, we milk about 6,500 cows. Uh, like I said, some of those are Jersey, some of those are Holstein, and a lot of those are in between. We raise all our own heifers. Um, we raise a lot of the beef animals that we're, we're crossing with beef now. We raise all those animals. We um, actually have another dairy that we raise the heifers here also. So this site is the home site. We have a lot of animals on site. We feed a lot of mouths. We produce uh, about just under 400,000 pounds of milk every day. So onward and upward. And where do you ship your milk? Dairy Gold Shipper. What kind of products are being made? Yeah, so we, uh, we're we about two hours from Seattle. And so we're one of the closer large farms to the metropolitan Seattle area. So most of our milk crosses the mountain towards Seattle and goes either to the class one plant or the butter plant that Dairy Gold has over there. And how many employees do you have there on the dairy? Uh, just over 50. And milking two times or three times a day? Two X. Two X. Okay. So your genetics program then, you're, um, you've are you got jerseys and some Holsteins. Are you doing the, the Jersey cross, uh, Jersey Holstein cross as well? Yeah. So this was a Holstein, Holstein herd, a very nice Holstein herd. Um, and we've been crossing towards Jersey for a few years now. So tell me about your... Um, your nutrition program. What are you feeding and are you cropping that yourself? Are you purchasing feed? How are you handling that? I buy almost all the feed from my family. So my father, he's a potato farmer, but in the rotations, now nah, that all comes to the dairy. So I have a I have a really good working relationship with the family farm, if you will, what I grew up on. And we grow earlage, corn silage, triticale, uh, alfalfa silage, and alfalfa hay. We're very fortunate in this area. We have a lot of different byproducts. So we got French fries and potato skins, some mint. Um, we have great pumice, different uh, cannery waste. So we do feed a lot of byproducts uh, when when available and when possible. That keeps your nutritionist on their toes. Yes, the nutritionist has a very difficult job. That <laughs> sounds like it. So you had said mint. Does that, uh, I'm curious, does the mint, make a difference in the in the uh, flavor of the milk it doesn't go into the milk cows it's it's all heifers okay then with onions we feed some onions too but you can't put it in the milk cows right well i was just curious about that so let's talk about the the innovative um system that you've got there tell me um i'm curious about the the worms that you are growing on your on your place tell me about that biofilter system yeah, when I started dairy farming, I, it didn't take me very long to, to realize that the lagoon and green water was a headache, a liability, and really took some of the fun out of dairy farming. Immediately, I was looking for a water solution and came across the biofiltro company at the Tulare Farm Show. Man, I can't even tell you, maybe six or seven years ago. And we got the conversation going. I flew around and looked at some of their biofilter systems already in place. They weren't super popular on dairies yet. 
but I looked at it. They had one at the, at the UC Davis, um, the University of California there that I looked at and a couple others that I was checking out, some on wineries and stuff. Yeah, I got comfortable enough where I put in a pilot system. And what this is, is it's, uh, it's if you can imagine like swimming pools. Um, so I put in one swimming pool, if you, if you will, and I, you fill it up with rocks in the bottom two feet. And then the top three feet are wood chips. So it's a five foot deep swimming pool filled with rocks, wood chips, and then sitting on top are just sprinklers. Coming out of these sprinklers is your green water. We have a couple slope screens in front of the green water. So we have a primary um, mechanical separator in front of the biofilter, but then that liquid effluent comes out of these sprinklers and it settles through these swimming pools filled with wood chips, which are inoculated with the worms and the worm poop and the worm castings settles through and now the water goes through the, the rock and then you collect that water off the bottom and that water is now as far as nutrients there's very little it's the the biofilter has removed 80 to 90 percent of the np and k out of that water and that is collected in that media in those wood chips which the worms then eat and turn into worm poop and you have a really really good worm casting type product in the top of that filter that you're able to harvest and use on your soils. And then the other is you have a clean water that we then flush with, obviously we reuse, and then we put the rest of that through our circles. So we started with this pilot and then we duplicated it about 50 times. And so over the last three, four years, started with the pilot, gained some confidence, understood the system, liked the system. And so I continue to add these worm beds. And so now it's seven quarter mile long worm beds, if, if you will, these swimming pools that I, that I picture, that you can picture, um, all filled with rocks, wood chips, millions and millions of worms, sprinklers on top. And those are just constantly taking turns coming on and off, on and off. It takes about four hours for the water to work its way through. And uh, each of those sprinklers will come on for maybe five to 15 minutes per hour. When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and ultimately enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit diamondv.com because animal health deserves a healthier approach. I'm curious though, when you, when you take the castings out, so what happens to all the worms that are there? Do you have to re-inoculate with, with more worms or how does that work? Yeah, we're, we're growing worms right now for, to put back into the system when we harvest those worms. Worms in the right environment will double their population every three months. Worms procreate quickly. Um, so we will just re-inoculate it and continue working. And a lot of the value of those worm casting, that worm casting material that we're harvesting and either using or selling comes from those worms. Not just what the worms have digested and pooped, but having all those worms and the worm eggs in that, that really makes a valuable, valuable soil amendment. Right. So do you have to reintroduce more wood, wood chips on a regular basis too? Correct. Yeah. So the worms are going to 
the worm's role, their main role is to crawl through these wood chips and keep the, the, the canals or the channels open. So it just, the water continues to percolate. Their secondary role is to keep just their big part of the bacteria that's in that, that's doing a lot of the work of denitrifying and filtering this water. And then the third part of their role is they're eating the wood chips that have now been saturated with this NP and K. And it's going through their digestive system. Just like a cow is a beautiful recycler taking byproducts and all sorts of proteins and nutrients that we can't use, the ruminant converts that into proteins we can. Worms have also have just an incredible digestive system. God created them to take the NP and the K and to upcycle it, to add value to it. And when it goes through their digestive system, it comes out that much better and that more that much more valuable to the soil and to the plants that are growing in that soil you had said how long a quarter mile long yeah there's seven of them quarter mile long about 50 feet wide so i'm curious are there any potential problems um environmentally that could come with this kind of a system um risk-wise and how have you planned for that yeah i mean so i guess let me preface that question with this system, we reduced our carbon footprint on the on Royal Dairy by 42,000 CO2 equivalents with the addition of this biofilter. And that comes from mostly having a lagoon that was oozing methane and other greenhouse gases to a lagoon that's now denitrified and has virtually none of those greenhouse gases. We've gone through a year-long verification process and determine that that number is 42,000 equivalent, CO2 ton equivalents. Um, as a result, we've been able to convert those into offsets, um, and carbon credits, and been able to sell those. Environmentally, we have a very positive impact with the biofilter. Now, just like everything, there's potential issues. Environmentally, I don't know if there's a real good, I, I think I think as far as, this is only an environmental improvement on our farm, as far as I've been able to figure out at this point. We're reducing our carbon footprint. Um, we even built it for the most part with ecology blocks, uh, which are recycled concrete that we've been able to build these swimming pools, if you will, with. Everything we've done has been to lessen our impact on the environment with the addition of the biofilter. So the system, could it be expanded in the future? Do you need to expand it in the future? If we add more cows, if we use more water, and we want to recycle more water, we would need to expand it. But currently it is built out to handle the water that we use for this, this uh, nutrient management plan. Was there any special permitting that you had to go through in order to put the system in? Not really. Structurally, the walls aren't high enough to get a building permit. We didn't move enough, we didn't move enough dirt to even have to trigger a uh, uh, environmental permit. So it was pretty seamless. We had to adjust our nutrient management plan, but that's only a positive because again, our nitrogen storage is now significantly bigger because we're converting that nitrogen out of the, taking it out of the water and putting it in these warm castings. So we just expanded our nitrogen storage substantially and our lagoon now is virtually, has very little nitrogen. In. And you're, you're using that lagoon water just as irrigation. Yeah. So previous, prior to the biofilter, we, on an annual basis, we would we would have to truck almost 50 million gallons of water every year. And to do that agronomically, we'd have to spread that out on four to 5,000 acres. 
And keep in mind that couldn't be the same four to 5,000 acres every year that had to be spread out between, you know, on our nutrient management plan, we had 30,000 acres to spread that out. But annually we had to spread 50 million gallons and four to 5,000 acres. Currently we take almost all of the lagoon. So that same 50 million gallons of water annually, and it goes through three to 400 acres. And so that's what we've done agronomically to be able to pull those nutrients out of the water. We now have an irrigation type water that we're just irrigating our crops with. We can put back to back to back to back on it and it doesn't have any um, negative benefits. Okay. How many employees um, work with the system? Do you have one employee that's dedicated or 10 employees that are dedicated to that? There's one employee that's dedicated to the sprinklers and the worms. And then we have a couple employees who are more dedicated to the primary screens to get the water ready for the biofilter. The biofilter is very low maintenance. It's actually what really, one of the main reasons why I was so attracted to it was because I was looking at a lot of different systems, LWR, digesters, reverse osmosis, even ultrafiltration. A lot of these systems, we had a centrifuge at the time, even the centrifuge, very, very high management um, and not just anybody can manage it. Very, very intelligent, high management. Whereas the biofilter is pumps, PVC sprinklers, and, and that's about it, stuff we understand. So the management of the biofilter is a big victory in my mind versus some of the other competing water filter systems. That being said, what challenges do you have as far as the uh, management of the system? Do you like now it's, it's 30 some degrees there today. Are you concerned about freezing or how do you handle that? Not today, but there is times in the winter where it does become a, a challenge. What we've done to mitigate the challenge is the normal application is a bunch of sprinklers across the whole swimming pool, the whole seven acres of swimming pools. We have set up essentially these big, uh, big sprinklers, big end guns, pivots, you know, big, big nozzle end guns. And we'll, when it gets cold enough, we'll just turn these big nozzle guns on. And so we won't get as good as application amongst the water, but we won't freeze either. Right. Uh, so for the two or three weeks, we, we really don't get too extreme here. There was probably two weeks where the low was near zero and that was a hassle. But, but for the most part, we just turned on those big sprinklers. There was times in the evening when it was zero degrees that we wouldn't turn the, the sprinklers on. Um, but by the daytime, when it was in the teens, we were fine to turn those big sprinklers on. Have you run out of silage, had to buy expensive, marked up feed to fill the gap? Maybe productions dropped due to lower dry matter intakes. Are molds or mycotoxins creeping through your piles or bunkers? And pitching the rot is a dangerous pain. Oxygen is the enemy. Pack it out, then keep it out with SealPro. The professional grade silage barrier film protection chosen by top professional farmers like you. Make more, better, safer silage with SealPro. Learn more at SealProSilage.com. What would you have done differently if you could do the whole project again? I would have um, set up the system better beforehand. Uh, well, let's see. I would I would have set up the system better upstream. So my upstream was not to par when I put in the biofilter. So I've had a bugger of a time getting upstream and the worm beds to integrate well. 
um, to have a consistent water going to the worm beds. Cause just like any system, it's better off when it's predictable. And we were fairly unpredictable for a while. Having said that, that's one of the other things I do like about the biofilter versus a centrifuge, which is I have, I have a lot of experience in a centrifuge. If the water going in changes instantaneously, you're having, a, you have a problem. If it's at three o'clock in the morning, you come at seven o'clock Sunday morning and by golly, you just about flooded the whole damn farm. Um, the biofilter, you can't do that. You can, you can put dirty water on there and you'll have a problem after a couple of weeks of that. You'll, you'll kind of cake up the top of your beds. But if you, if you have a hiccup at three o'clock in the morning, no biggie, you fix it seven o'clock, you fix it on Monday and uh, you keep going as normal. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with the carbon credits? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, Connie, what I'm getting really, really more and more passionate about is how, when we use the right systems, when we clean our water, when we feed our cows, right, when we grow our crops, right, the ruminant, the cow is such a critical part of a good environment. Um, the cow serves such an important role to our healthy soils, to our healthy nutrition. And their role in that is really the way we do it sustainably. I get so frustrated when people start throwing out these concepts that without cows, um, we'd be better off environmentally. Our greenhouse footprint would be better. I read an article the other day about how cows have such a huge footprint in our world, greenhouse gases. All those numbers are skewed. Dr. Frank Mitloner has educated us a lot on those numbers. But furthermore, you need to start asking the question is what happens to our soils without the organic matter, without the microbial benefits that the ruminant gives our soils, that these cows byproducts give our soils. And when you start equating the bigger picture, these cows, granted with the right processes in place, we need to do it right. We need to do it correctly. But when you do it right and you have a system in place to handle the waste properly, to feed your cows properly and locally, you have the most incredible recycler sitting right there in the middle of the farm, keeping the systems sustainable and productive and feeding your soils so that they can be more effective at soil carbon sequestration. You can probably tell I could talk about that portion all day long and I'll get off my soapbox, but the ruminant is a superpower that isn't getting any credit. They're just, they just want to talk about the one side, but when you consider the ruminant and the huge benefits they're giving us and the byproducts, the waste products they're eliminating, the proteins they're making us, it, it's, it's, yeah, I could go all day, but it's, it's incredible. The cow is incredible. We got to stop disparaging the cow because they're amazing. Yes, they are. What advice would you give to someone who is considering installing a system like the biofilter? Make sure your upstream is is uh, what you want it to be. The biofilter is a water filter. It's not a. It's not going to replace the slope screen or the trommel screen that you might have in place. Um, so you want those working correctly and adequately. And then adding this layer of a water filter would is a huge benefit. So you said that your family is involved in other other kinds of farming. Is there any kind of a use for a biofilter project in, in their farming um, with reducing their carbon footprint as well? 
on the side of the worm castings and the, I guess you could say the byproduct of this filter, um, it's great soil amendment for, for all that farming, for the apples and the cherries and, and really any soil that we choose to put it on. So on that side of it, it is a huge benefit. And like I was saying before, that side is really where our carbon is banked. So when you treat your soils right with these types of ingredients that are coming from the worm and, and the, the nutrients that are microbial filled from the ruminant, you're actually um, facilitating your soils to do more of that carbon sequestration. So on that side, it is a huge benefit across, across the whole network of farms. On the water and filter side, yes, wherever you have water you want to treat, biofilter is something to look at. Uh, we have a, an apple packing shed that is looking into different water treatment systems. The biofilter is foremost on that list. Um, any type of uh, any type of this reclaimed water, uh, the biofilter is is a great use. In fact, biofilter really, as far as the um, portfolio of biofilter itself, dairy is pretty low on that. They do mostly wineries, mostly municipalities. Mostly other industries, they're just kind of getting into dairy in the last few years. What lies ahead for Royal Dairy? Are you looking at any other technologies that you're, you'd like to bring into the operation in the next few years? We, I don't want to be a dead horse, but the, the place where I'm putting most of my attention is the soils and supporting the soils with the cows and the worms. Um, so... Those type of technologies, anything that I can do to unlock our soils to be more productive and, and sequester and bank more carbon is, I think, where the focus is going to be. And the worms and the biofilter have just really unlocked the potential, I think, beyond what the ruminants and the compost and the, and the manure was already doing. Um, it's unlocked the potential to be next level in that arena. How you're, You have some small children. Yeah. Correct. You're, you're married to Camille and you have how many children? Four kids. Four kids. All right. And how involved are they in your, in your operation? I know they're little, but. As much as they can be, go to school. In the summertime, I have a kid with me nearly all the time. In the mornings, I have a kid with me most of the time. I had my eight-month-old baby with me for a couple hours this morning. They love it. They're living the dream. And uh, we're very fortunate to be able to raise a family out here on the farm. We we consider ourselves one of the one of the fortunate ones to be able to do that. Well, you got a big smile on your face when I mentioned your children and your and your wife. Yeah, so, <laughs> do you have any uh, plans or dreams for them to be involved in Royal Dairy someday? Yeah, for sure. If they, if that's what they want to do, I would love to be able to pass this on. I think that's that's really. You know, that really plays into regenerative farming and the sustainable farming conversation. I think agriculture is one of the few industries that it's all about generations. It's all about the next generation and the previous generation. So it is that much more important for us to be sustainable. And I think people forget that. We, more than anybody, want to take care of our land and our environment and our water um, because Almost no farmer, none of my neighbors that I can think of are looking to build this really high EBITDA and 10x their value and then sell it. And it's, these aren't investments. 
these are lifestyles and generational. So um, you taught, you mentioned other farmers. Um, how is your community accepted and, and what do they think about your uh, biofilter system? Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest. A lot of people are really curious because I think the simplicity of the technology, just like me, it raises your eyebrows. Like there's no way it, it can do that. And that's why it took me four years to build it because I was a skeptic very much so. But I think people are really interested in being able to solve that same problem that I had. And, uh, and I think they're watching and they're considering and looking at, and there's a lot of people who are already putting them in. And yeah, I think people are very interested in trying to, to solve this lagoon problem that we have. What will your dairy business look like in 30 years? It's a good question. I, I think it'll look like, I think it's going to have a very balanced, I think my dairy operation will be very balanced. It'll have a lot of systems in place to keep us as regenerative as possible, meaning to bringing in as little inputs from elsewhere as we possibly can, because the ruminant can serve that purpose. So having the right acres, the right ruminants, the right cows in the right places, and the right systems to support that um, is, is I think, where uh, 30 years, what it looks like. It's just a, a nice puzzle piece that all works together. Your education probably has played a very significant role in who you are today as well. Can you tell me about where you went to school and what kind of experiences you had outside the classroom, too, that led you to dairy farming? Yeah, I uh, graduated from Royal High School right here in Royal City, Washington. And then from there, I went to uh, BYU in Provo, Utah, and I studied business management and minored in economics. From there, I, I lived in a few different states, almost always moving to work on dairies or farms to try to build some, some experience. And then I came back to the farm, and I think it's been very influential. My education and my experiences during and after college have been very influential influential in helping me set the foundation that I have to, to be on the course I'm on. Well, thank you for, for joining me today. Um, Austin, your family's farm is on Instagram, Facebook. What's your address on, on those? Um, Royal Family Farming. So, Royal Family Farming. Yeah, feel free to, to follow us. We try to be pretty active on that. I really am passionate about telling the ruminant story and helping People understand that the cow is part of the solution. I'm really passionate about sharing with people that the cow is a major part of the solution and not, not the problem. And uh, we share as much as we can about regenerative farming at scale at Royal Family Farm. Thank you. Well, thank you, Austin, for visiting with me today. I've been speaking with Austin Allred of Royal Dairy in Royal City, Washington. This is Connie Cooper for the Dairy Voice podcast. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers at dairyvoice.com and at dairybusiness.com. Thank you for listening.